we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, something that is about the faithfulness of God. You know, He is faithful. He is so faithful. He says when, when we don't remain faithful, He continues to be faithful because He cannot deny His own. He's a faithful God. That he ch- you know that song, He chases after us. The goodness of God is chasing after us. I was thinking while we were singing that how much the devil hates that. He doesn't just hate the song, but he hates the biblical truth that it represents. He does not want to see God's people blessed with the goodness of God. He wants us to believe a lie that God is not good, that God has abandoned us, that God does not help us when we're in trouble. But the opposite is true, that God is good. He cannot be anything but good. It is a part of his innate character. And so I'm thankful that God... It's just like solid bedrock, solid, more solid than bedrock. I was going to say solider, but I don't know if that's a word, uh, but it's solid. Our, our, listen, my faith, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I stand on a rock called Christ Jesus, and my faith is not moved. And, you know, there's some things, the title of my message, some things will never change. And, you know, some people say, well, that's kind of a negative statement. No, it's a positive statement because I'm talking about some things that will never change. Now, there's a lot of things that doesn't seem to change. One thing, the enemy hates God. The enemy hates his people. The enemy hates people because they're created in the image of God. The enemy wants to attack us. The enemy wants to destroy our faith. He wants to shipwreck our faith. But some things never change. You know what the good thing is some things never change? God is our help in a time of need. He has defeated the enemy. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross of Calvary, shedding his innocent blood for the guilty, he crushed the serpent's head even though his heel was bruised in death, but God raised him victorious over the grave. You know where Jesus is today? He's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and for me. See, these are things that don't change. There's some wonderful things that don't change. And I'll tell you, in the world we live in, things are changing. And, and I don't mean for good. Uh, I, I think we'd admit that 40 years ago, you know, a generation ago, even two generations ago, that if the Americans then, and even the world, would see America today, they would be shocked. They'd say, that'll never happen. It'll never happen in America. And yet, look what the enemy is doing. Our country is being torn to shreds. The fabric of our unity uh, and, and our love for country is being shredded to pieces. It's being torn in bits. And yet, we have hope in the midst of that trouble, because we, the remnant of his people, have a God we can call on in a time of trouble. The world is shaken, but God's people are on the rock, which is not shaken. Somebody say amen. So um, we can celebrate those things. You know, we can think about changes in, uh, in science, scientific discoveries and breakthrough in uh, artificial intelligence and and, uh, and, and te- technological breakthroughs that have changed our lifestyles. You know, among those we think of, <clears throat> at least I do, I think back of back in the 30s, you know, the comic strips that came out, you know, Superman was launched, and, 
you know, I'm not saying there's ever going to be a superhero, a real superhero with real superhuman powers. His name was Jesus, and he had supernatural powers, but he's the son of the living God. You know, he's the one, the only one who God raised from the dead, and we who believe in him are going to follow in that because of our faith in Christ. But uh, but I'll tell you, but I remember Dick Tracy, and I'd read some of the old comic strips from way back when, and you remember Dick Tracy? Anybody ever read Dick Tracy? Okay. You know, he had a little wristband, you know, like a watch, and, and he would talk to people, and they'd see his face, you know, it was like a two-way FaceTime. And people in the 30s would say, oh, that's cool, but that'll never happen. That's impossible. Never going to happen. And yet, look at today. There's an Apple Watch that came out several years ago. You can do FaceTime. You're like in Dick Tracy days, you know? You're a detective if you want to be. You know, that's pretty cool. We can hold up our cell phones and do FaceTime. We don't have to just hear their voice, you know, but we can talk. You know, back in the day, it would have been thought impossible that we could even have a landline telephone, okay? And, and before that, even um, Morse code, you know, send a telegram. I mean, that's, that was impossible. But, see, breakthroughs have come, and the closer we get to the end times, more technological breakthroughs come through that stagger the imagination, and people in, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, would say, no, that can never happen. That's weird. They couldn't imagine it. But there's been breakthroughs. Things change. Even weather patterns. I don't know if you're a believer in global warming or... They call it climate change, but that doesn't pop. They call it climate change. You know, personally, I believe that God is able to take care of His creation, His planet. But, and I'm not disputing that, you know, sometimes we as humans have polluted and have not uh, uh, been good stewards of the environment, and we could improve on that. But I'm just saying that weather patterns, you know, change. Sometimes they're temporal. They kind of go in, in phases sometimes. Uh, but sometimes weather patterns, they seem like they've changed. We've had an enormous amount of heat and humidity this summer here in our part of the state that isn't quite normal, I think, since I've been here. And lightning and thunder, you know. You know, I was going to say some things never change. You know, the Bible calls Satan the prince and power of the air. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of lightning strikes around here. We were sitting there in the office window about a month ago looking out the window and it just... Thunder was shaking the ground. And we looked across the street out the window, and lightning's coming straight down and striking the ground across the street, and bang, bang, and one after another, and our internet got knocked out, our phones got knocked out here at the church. Uh, our phone lines at home, our landlines got burned out. It just fried them. And, and, uh, and then we found out a few days later that the big projector there was hit by the lightning, and our lights outside were hit. Air conditioning and uh, the office wing was out again. That's another lightning issue. And they had to come and fix that. And, and yesterday morning we come in, and there's no water coming from the pump. You know, So the lightning storm on Friday night knocked the big breaker off for the pumps. Fortly, that was an easy thing to fix. At least we think. We hope so. Uh, but, you know, it's just been one thing after another. There's been attacks. But I can tell you something that never change. It's my first point before I read the text, and that's God's power. God's power never changes. He doesn't grow weak as the years grow longer. He is, he is uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He is unchanging. He is not a doddering old man with Alzheimer's, forgetting about us and forgetting about the important things. He is still seated upon his throne in glory. He is still receiving the adoration of heaven and of those who have gone on to heaven after their life here on earth who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ are worshiping him night and day, bowing down to him because he is worthy of all of our praise. I'm so excited about that. And I like Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, our text today, which says this. Listen, Isaiah says, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. That's good news. His arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. He can hear you when you call to him. And verse 2, he kind of gives the negative side of this. It's your sins, he's talking to Israel, the nation, his people, but he's also talking to us because the word of God is relevant to his chosen people. And when you receive Jesus Christ, you became a chosen generation, a people after his own heart. It says it's your sins that have cut you off from God because of your sins. He has turned away and will not listen any longer. So he's speaking to uh, the nation of Israel, but he's also speaking to us. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is things that don't change, and there's many other things I could talk about, but one of them is God's power towards us, His power to save. I know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard against him. He told that to Isaiah, told us that in his uh, book of prophecy. But, um, you know, what does he say in Isaiah 59? One, listen, the Lord's armors are not too weak to save you. And, And in essence, you know, what I derived from that, and I just wrote that down uh, when I was writing this, is, listen, nothing, nothing, say nothing, is too hard for God. I don't care what it is. You know, he's, he's a God that can move mountains, and he can pick them up and put them right back in the place where they were. His power is directed towards us when we call on his name I don't care how sinful you've been, how far from God you were or are, if you're watching online, is His saving arm can reach you where you're at. His power to rescue those in peril has not changed. I've been in peril sometimes. It's like I am blindsided by something that may happen and I don't know what to do. And I, what do I do? I don't sit around and wring my hands. Now, I might for a moment be blindsided and be a little confused, but you know what kicks in is my faith. And I remember that He is an ever-present help in a time of need, that His power is available. And so He can rescue me. He can help me. He can give me wisdom to get through the difficulties. His saving arm can reach, listen, to the lowest gutter where people have been. Some people, uh, like me and some worse than me, have lived uh, just in a state of uh, like a pigsty, have been in the gutter, have committed things that today I look back on my life when I was young and think I'm so ashamed today for what I did. I wish I could go back and undo all that, but you know I can't, but you know what God can do in His power? He can wipe it all away by the power of His blood. You know, I don't have to go back and undo it. It's, it's done. It's history. But you know what God does with history? He, he says, you know, it's okay. I'm going to wipe away your sins that you confessed and repented for, and I'm going to, they're, they're not there anymore. And God says, I, I, all I see is the blood of my Son, 
His power to save, His power to forgive, His power to expiate our sins. It means simply to take them away as far as the east is from the west. And I don't know where you're at today, but I can tell you that I find peace and comfort every single time because sometimes my own conscience will remember because I don't forget. God says I choose to forget because of my son's blood. But sometimes I and sometimes the enemy whispers, oh, you remember what you did. You remember. It's like, you know what? I can't undo that. That's history. But you know what? It's all wiped away. The books in heaven are wiped white as snow. I'm clean before my Lord. And I, I have access to his very throne. God, he invites me to get help and mercy. You know, he doesn't turn me aside because I am adopted into his family. His spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in my mortal body, give me the hope of glory. I'm happy. Listen, I am more than happy that I am a child of God. His power is extended towards me. You know, he can rescue us in danger today just as easily as what he rescued Israel when they were in trouble. You remember when uh, they were delivered from Pharaoh's slavery in Egypt and they were set free and Pharaoh says, go after all the plagues were poured out and they were leaving and uh, it was a really poor military strategy if Moses was a general, but they were backed up to the sea and they were prey for Pharaoh who hardened his heart and came after him with the uh, chariots and horses from Egypt came to annihilate them. And, and you know, God wasn't surprised by that. Can I tell you something about God? He's never taken off guard. He's never blindsided. He knows what's going to happen. And here he is. And, you know, what, people are afraid. And they go to Moses, what are we going to do? And others are saying, you brought us out here from Egypt to be slain. You know, what's, and, and, and what did Moses, he, I don't know. Instruction of God, just raise up the rod of God. And you know, a pillar of fire comes down. You know, that fire didn't run out of fuel because God didn't run out of power. That was self-sustaining fire because God said, spoke it into existence. And that pillar of fire protected him from the armies of Egypt. And at the same time, he raised up the staff, Moses did. And the entire Red Sea in that moment just split apart. And a wind blew and dried the ground. They weren't walking in mud. They were walking on dry ground. All, some say a million and a half, some say three million Jews, Israelites, and their livestock marched across the bottom of the sea to the other side. And the insanity of the devil is that he still thinks he can whip God. He's, he's deluded. He's, he's insane. And so he riles up Pharaoh, and the armies are sent after them into the sea when the pillar of fire comes down. And you know what happened? You know the story. Kind of a spoiler alert. They get covered. God just covers them under the sea, and they're drowned. You know, God can do that for us today. You know what happens when you get saved, when God reaches down and plucks you out of, of your sin and your iniquity? He pulls you up out. He cleanses you by the power of his blood, wipes away every sin that you've ever committed, 
purifies you by the power of the blood, puts the Holy Spirit in you, causes you to be born again so your heart is open to communication with God, that you are his child because he adopts you into your family, and God protects you. He can still rescue you. It's like he rescued you. He delivered you from the land of slavery, just like Israel. And you know what happens? Something never changed. Is when you get rescued, the devil doesn't like it, so he comes after you. And it's like, devil, didn't you learn your lesson back in Egypt? You know, they died. You know, you can't get me. God's hand protects us, you see. We are hidden in the hollow of his hand. And even though we may go through troubles and trials and persecution, and sometimes even some people are martyred for their faith, but the devil still can't get them because they are hidden in the hollow of his hand. His power preserves, protects, and saves and, uh, and promotes us to heaven when we die. God is able to save our souls from death and hell. I'm so thankful for that because you know what? I read about hell and I read about heaven and there's one place I really don't want to go. It is not even a choice for me. It's a no-brainer. Just like when Joshua and Moses both stood before the children of Israel giving their last address and they said, I set before you this day uh, life and death and blessing and cursing. And, and he said, you, just in case you're not sure what the right answer is, I'm going to give you the right answer. Choose life. Choose life. Multiple choice, but I'll give you the right answer. It's like a teacher in school, a professor in college who gives you this quiz and he says, but I want you to get it right. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss out on what I have for you and what God has for you. So I'm going to give you the answer before you take the test. You know, the sad thing is, the perplexing thing is, is some people choose death and cursing, and I'll never understand, makes my head spin, when we have a benevolent, loving God who loved us so much, he sent his one and only son to die for us, to rescue us from our sin and our judgment, and people still turn away. They are deluded, they are deceived by the power of the enemy. But you know what, God, he can save those who are trapped by the spirit of religion and bring reality and power of the spirit because there's a lot of people who go to church. There's a lot of people who are members of church, a lot of people who were baptized as infants, a lot of people who went through catechism or, you know, some formal religious training when they returned the age of what was considered the age of accountability. And yet they went through all that, but nothing penetrated their heart. It was all up here. And you know what I call that? I call that a spirit of religion. And some people say that, well, I, I'm going to get saved, you know, I'm going to go to heaven because I do the best I can and, and because I try my best to keep the Ten Commandments because that's really important to God. And, you know, those things are important because God gave the law, but why did he give the law? He gave the law to prove to us, Paul said to the Romans, to prove to us that we can't keep the law. And, and well, God, why would you do that? And now we feel helpless because we can't keep the law. And God said, well, I knew you couldn't. That's why I provided redemption. I provided Jesus for you so that you can go to heaven, so that you can be forgiven. Because I know you can't keep the law. You're a fallen creature. But God is able to save those who are trapped with that mentality. I remember so many years ago when I was just a young, young guy, and I, was, and, I, and I remember when I got saved, and I remember a story about my grandmother and my grandpa. My grandpa wasn't saved, and they were out on the farm, you know, the little hobby farm that he had when he retired from farming. And, 
And my grandmother got saved, gloriously saved. And my aunts and uncles, there, there's a revival at the Assembly of God Church in York, Nebraska in those days. And, uh, you know, just relatives and everybody getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And my grandmother got saved. And my grandpa's sister from Texas came up with her son. And they were sitting at the table at the farmhouse. And they were discussing religion. And my grandpa was kind of trying to goad my grandmother and, and make fun of her uh, in front of his sister and his nephew. And uh, says, yeah, yeah, they, these religious, crazy religious people, they just, they just think, you know, you got to, and of course, in their human wisdom, spirit of religion, it was said by my great aunt that, well, you know, if you just try to keep the good commandment, or the Ten Commandments and do the best you can, that's all we can hope for. And my grandfather agreed. And my grandma was sitting there just her heart sinking because she knew that was not the truth. We can't earn favor with God by our good works. You know, we just can't. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, said what? It is finished. The plan of salvation, born and conceived in the heart of God to save his creation that had sinned, he loved us so much that he sent his son to bridge that gap so that we could be redeemed. And we can't earn it. We can't buy it. But the power of God is available to us when we call upon his name and say, God, I am weak, but you are strong. I'm too weak to save myself, but you're strong. You're, what did Paul tell the Corinthians? That God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. He delights in showing his strength in the weakness. And he delights in showing his wisdom uh, and, and, and those who are foolish to confound the wise of this world. And sometimes re- a spirit of religion, they're wise in this world. There was a man there, a very religious Pharisee, who came, he saw the works of Jesus. He saw him heal the sick, open blind eyes. He saw him uh, set people free who were de- uh, held bondage by demons. And, and he came to Jesus. He was a good man, it says. Nicodemus was his name. And he came, it says he came uh, he was a religious leader with the Jews on the Sanhedrin. And, and, and it says there in verse number 2 of chapter 3 of John, after dark one evening he came to speak with Jesus and he said, Rabbi or teacher, we all know that God sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. In other words, they are your credentials because nobody can do what you can do. Um, and there has to be God with you for you to be able to do that. And Jesus' reply just simply said back to him. He didn't say, oh, thank you for the compliment. He said this. He says, I assure you, and I want you to hear this, because Jesus is saying the same words to us today. The Word of God is speaking to us today, and Jesus is saying to you, watching by live stream and to every person here, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives life and birth to spiritual life. And so don't be surprised, Jesus said, when I say to you, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, his head was spinning, and he's, he's a religious leader. He had religious training in the Torah, the five books of the Bible, and the prophets, and, 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 he, and he knew these things like the back of his hand. He was a bright uh, gentleman, but he was religious. And, and uh, he needed to be born again. He said, how is it that I can go back in my mother's womb? Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And I think if there's one thing that's misunderstood, go all the way back 
you know, to Nicodemus Day, but also rebirthed in Jimmy Carter's day in the 70s when he was running for president when he said, I'm a born-again Christian. And then born again would hit the, the, all across the world. Oh, born again, what does that mean? And, and born again became a buzzword in the culture from then on. And, and, and what does the enemy like to do with a biblical term? Like he likes to hijack it so that people can't understand what it really means from its biblical origins. And that's sad because that's how the devil deceives. That's how he uh, confuses people about what God clearly wants us to know. Well, Nicodemus went away impressed. And Nicodemus went away, I believe he got saved. I believe he became a believer in Christ, unlike most of his fellows there on the Sanhedrin. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus is saying is he can save the vilest of sinners. Listen, he showed up on the shores of Gadara after being attacked by the prince and power of the air in the boat on the way over with a terrible squall, threatened to take their lives, and yet Jesus said, peace be still. You know, when there's a storm that's causing us to fear and to be afraid uh, and causing us to back off from doing the things God told us to do, you know, right behind that, I will guarantee you the enemy is creating the storm to keep us away from doing what God called us to do. I really believe that. And of late, this church has been under attack. Like I've never seen it in 20 years, demonic attack. There's just been one thing after another. And I told the prayer team, I said, you know, it's time that we <laughs> took our stand and stand firm. It's time that we reassert the authority that we have in Christ, that we begin to pray that on the four corners of this property, the Lord would station warring angels with flaming swords drawn and shields and protect the people of this church, protect the integrity of this church, protect uh, those who are sick with this COVID that's a curse from the enemy. And I'm praying for that, and we're praying for that. We're doing spiritual warfare because you know what? There is something going on that the enemy doesn't quite fully aware of what it is, but he knows God is up to something, that he's about to do something incredible in this community. How do I know that? Because there's another pastor of a large church in the area and uh, visiting with him, and he said, you know, Tim, we have been under so much attack. I've never seen anything like this. And he began to share some of those things, and I thought, you too. And then I realized it's not just us that God has something special for. It's this whole region. I believe God's going to pour out His Spirit and do something unique and something powerful. But I can tell you that there's a lot of people who are trapped in sin and in bondage to habits, in bondage to drugs and alcohol and sexual perversion that I believe by the anointing of the power of God can even break them just like that when they call on His name. That's the power of God. That is the power of God. And Jesus showed up on the shores of Gadara after that storm and there was a demoniac that came running to him. He was a wild man, superhuman strength. He would try to, the whole host of men would try to hold him down and, and, uh, and, and, and put shackles on him. And he would throw them all off and he would rip those shackles off. He would cry out. He lived in the cemetery among the tombs and he would cut himself. Cutting is an unfortunate, I believe, a demonic activity that causes people to try to hurt themselves even today. That's an issue today. 
people are hurting on the inside and, and they cut themselves to divert the hurt from inside to the physical hurt. This guy was cutting himself and he would wail and cry out in the night and people were afraid of him. They would go around him. You know, go on the other side, get out far away from him, walk a mile away from this guy. He's crazy. He's rabid. He comes to Jesus. And he's possessed by a legion of demons. And he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's the epitome of hope when we fall at his feet. He fell at his feet. I remember when I was 14 years old, I fell at the Savior's feet. I fell down and I cried out to God. And this, this poor man didn't understand what had happened to him. He was crazy. He thought I'm crazy. I don't, he didn't know. But he fell down and Jesus commanded, even then was commanding the demons to come out. This, this man who terrified the whole region with his insanity, his demoniac power, was set free just like that. The same power is available today to set people free from vices and from sin. He showed up, Jesus showed up at a well near Samaria, a village called Sychar, at, a, at an inappropriate time for women from the community to come and draw water from the well. And, and she shows up and Jesus was there by divine appointment to what? To show his power over re false religious teaching and dogma that she had learned. He revealed to her who he was. He told her that I have water. You're drawing from this well and you're going to have to come back tomorrow and draw more water because you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I have, you'll never be thirsty again. That's the power of God. To satisfy the thirsty soul that nothing else can satisfy. People are trying to satisfy their spiritual thirst through inappropriate relationships and through money and materialism, through every other kind of thing that the devil wants. He throws a baited hook out for us to grab onto. But the only thing that will satisfy your soul is a relationship with the living God. God designed us with a hole in our heart that can only be satisfied by His presence. He created us in the image of God after His own likeness. He fits into that hole in our heart and satisfies the thirsty and the hungry. He showed up in the life of Mary Magdalene and He cast seven demons out of her and here she is at His feet and she's pouring the anointing oil on His feet and crying and washing His feet and drying it with her hair. She was criticized for wasting that nard, expensive. Could have been sold and given to the poor, Judah says. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She's here to repair me for my burial. To whom much is forgiven, there's much love. How much do you love the Lord? Have you been forgiven a lot? I, I, I've been forgiven a lot. I'll tell you, I, if I had to sit down and write my sins out, I don't think there'd be enough paper. But I do know this, you know, like the old song, gone, 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 all my sins are gone, buried in the deepest sea, yes, that's good enough for me. I don't know if those are the right words, but I remember that gone, gone, gone part, because they're gone. 
They're buried in the deepest of sea, just like Mary Magdalene, just like that uh, demoniac from Gadara, uh, just like Peter when he failed God and he restored him because Jesus gives us second chances, third chances, fourth chances when we come back to him. I tell you, secondly, doesn't change is, is God's hearing doesn't wear out. God never grows deaf. He hears our prayers. He hears us when we cry out to Him. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that He didn't turn a deaf ear to me because I wasn't good enough. I'm so glad He didn't hold His nose and walk away from me because I smelled so filthy with my sin. But He came to me with great compassion and He heard my cry for salvation and what does Isaiah 59 verse 1a say? It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor, second part of that, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you, part two of that verse. He is not deaf. You know, I've heard some people, and even I've said that, it's like, God, I just keep praying and praying and praying. And it just seems like, what there's an old term, like the heavens are brass. You know, God, it just seems like my prayers bounce off the ceiling. Where are you, God? I shared with this congregation many times before that I remember a time at my last pastorate and going through just difficult times and rough times and it's just not fair, God. How many know life's not fair? Have you ever said that? God, it's not fair. And I remember looking up at that ceiling, walking through that worship center and yelling at the ceilings, where are you, God? Have you ever done that? And you know, God didn't say anything, but it was almost like in my spirit, it's just, well, he's right here. He's living in your heart. See, he's, a, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He is here. He hasn't left you, nor has he forsaken you. He hears us when we pray, even though sometimes we don't feel like he's hearing us. You know, sometimes we don't feel like he's hearing us because he's not answering our prayer the way we told him to. We need to let God be God. He knows what is best, even though sometimes we don't understand. But, you know, what does it reveal about God is his ways are past finding out. You know, he told the prophet, he says, my ways are above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. You know, he said, you can't figure me out. You know what we can do when we can't figure God out? We can just fall at his feet and trust him. You know what we can do? We can cast our anxiety and our cares on him because he cares for us. These are promises of God. He said he would hear us when we pray. We can just unload on him, unpack. Listen, God heard the prayers of his people while they were slaves in Egypt. We've already talked a little bit about that. They thought, you know, because they were in slavery for 400 years, by the way, it was prophesied that would happen. So it shouldn't have been any surprise, but he said at the end of that time he would send a deliverer. But they had to wonder sometimes when they were being beat, when they were being persecuted, they were being taken advantage of uh, unmercilessly by Pharaoh. When Pharaoh was killing all the male babies that were born, uh, that was just unthinkable. That happens today, by the way, the same spirit, demonic spirit, that kills babies back then is the same spirit that drives the abortionists today. Some things never change, but one day they will when the devil and his minions will be cast in the eternal lake of fire and it'll be done. But when they were wondering where God is, Exodus 3, 7, and 8, God was raising up a deliverer. He was giving a call to a man called Moses who thought he would never go back to Egypt. He was on the other side of the desert. 
And God met him in a divine appointment that Moses wasn't sure, but God showed up on that mountain. Moses turned aside to see a sight that he'd never seen before. It was a bush that was burning, and yet it wasn't being consumed by the fire. It's just like the fire had no effect on it. He was like, oh, i got to go take a look at this. And there was a voice that came from the bush that burned. It was the voice of Jesus and said, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off. The ground that you're standing on is holy ground. I want to ask you today, have you ever been in the presence of God, his presence so precious, his anointing so strong that you felt like, oh, I need to take my shoes off. I'm on holy ground. I have. There have been times of worship and prayer where it's like God is there, right? I mean, he is there, but I mean there. I'll tell you, that's where Moses was at. And you know what he said to Moses? Listen, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Almost 400 years later. And I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. And yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Can I tell you that the eternal word of God, written on pages, stone originally, but now on pages of paper, is living and active? That there are times maybe when you are in bondage, that you are struggling, that you are being taken advantage of, and you cry out to God and cry out to God from the first time you cry out to him, the first time you shed tears in your moments of anguish, God says, I have certainly seen what you're going through, and I have heard your cries of distress, and I will come down and I'll rescue you. He will rescue you. I will come down and rescue you. You know what? The power of the Egyptians, he's going to strike them. The power of the enemy that comes against you, he's going to strike them. God says, I'm going to bring my people to the land flowing with milk and honey that I promised, that I promised to your ancestors. Verse number 9 of Exodus 3 says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. I, the key words there is God sees and God hears, and then God does. He does. He shows up. He shows up in your distress, just like he showed up then. He calls Moses to deliver them and to tell them the news Guess what good news? Your prayers have been answered. You know what they did? They looked at Moses and said, who are you? <laughs> Another principle in Scripture is God uses the strangest people to accomplish his purposes. I think people still chuckle who used to know me saying, he's a pastor. you got to be kidding me. Jeez, the cancel culture, if they could, they would cancel me because of my past. They would cancel you from doing the things God calls you to do, saying, who are they to be doing that? You know what? God calls and he equips those that he calls. 
Moses got called. It was the power of God that rescued the Egyptians or rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians, but it was the grace and mercy of God that God called Moses. You know, I have never lived a day since God answered the call to ministry that I have ever regretted it and ever said, God, why'd you call me? And there's been times when I could have said that because things got hard. But you know what? I think it's an honor to have the call of God on my life. You know, I'm in it for life. I've been hurt. I've been bruised. I've been mistreated. But that doesn't bother me. It bothers me, but it doesn't bother me to the point that I'm going to throw up my hands and quit because God's power is in me. The call of God is in me, and He will help me go through whatever I have to do because He hears me when I pray, and He sees what I'm going through. He's not surprised by it, but He wants to help me. He reaffirmed His promises of that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring them into a land that flowed with milk and honey. And God's promises are true throughout the entire Bible. They are renowned because he's a God who answers prayer. One of my favorite verses in Jeremiah 33.3, it says, God just dares uh, Jeremiah and Israel to ask. He says, just ask me and I'll tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. You know, God delights in telling the secrets to those that fear him. Hey, but I don't understand. He may not tell you what to do about it, but he's going to tell you what's going to happen. I always think of walking, this faith walk with God is just an exciting journey that uh, you never know what's around the corner or over the next hill. But you do know this, is God is already there waiting for me to get there. That whatever's around the corner or over the next hill even though I'm blindsided, God is there to help me get through it. He hears me when I pray. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 7 and 8, he says, keep on asking. He's telling yeah, you, keep on asking. You know, there's some ultra-faith teachers who say that that's a sin. Once you ask God in faith, you don't ever ask him again. Well, that's contrary to the word of God, you know. You know, I, I think that our teaching of the word should balance with the word, don't you? That it should line up. And he says, Jesus said, keep on asking, and then you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find what you're looking for. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. That's the promise of Christ. And he goes on in verse 8, for everyone, say everyone. He doesn't say some people. Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We have the promises of God. His promises are renowned. And you know what, in, in Acts chapter 4, when we find that in the previous, uh, before this happened, is that there was an incredible miracle that took place. The apostles healed somebody, and, and there was a commotion. They were preaching the gospel. Thousands of people got saved. And you know what happens when thousands of people get saved, or even just one person gets saved? You know what happens? The devil gets really nervous. You know, somebody said he should take a pill because it's not going away. But something happened. They locked up the apostles, and then they called them out. They threatened them. And long story short, I'm going to fly over this. Threatened them, said, don't you ever preach or teach in the name of Jesus again. Or you're, we have the power of life and death. You know, that was the threat, the veiled threat. Don't you ever do that again. And, you know, Peter spoke up rather bold and brassy and just said, you know, you're the religious leaders. You're supposed to know the law, right? I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, judge for yourself whether it's right 
for us to obey God or to obey you? Which, if, if there's a choice, you, you're the religious, tell me what to do. You know, they didn't like that. And so you know what the apostles did after they were released? They went back to the church. They had a meeting with the leaders in the church. They told them everything that had happened about the threats. And you know what happened? He said this, it's not on your screen, but it says in verse 29 of, of Acts chapter 4, it says that, and now, Lord, they begin to pray. We can call on the name of the Lord. Remember, he hears. Hear their threats. Listen to their threats. And in, 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 in light of their threats, God, give your servants even greater boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says in verse 31 up here, after this prayer, the place where they were meeting shook. It was like a spiritual earthquake because the heavenly realm, the unseen realm where the enemy attacks was shaken. The gates of hell were being rattled and the devil's nerves were on edge. Because he hates it when God's people realize the authority that they have when they pray in the name of Jesus. It shook. And it says that they preached. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, anew and afresh. And they preached the word of God with boldness. And verse 32 says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. And they began to share with other people who had need. Spirit of generosity. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And God's great blessing was on them. It was on them. I'm going to quit here. I'm not going to finish my sermon because I want to have time to pray. But I want to tell you something today. I don't know about you, what you go through, but there are times when it seems like the enemy is just on the attack. And I remember going through the years from the time I was young in the Lord until now, and even in Pentecostal churches, there were times when some of the saints of God, they would say, oh, the devil's attacking me, the devil's, and you'd hear testimony, we'd have testimony time, and some people would stand up and say, oh, the devil's after me, the devil's after me. You know, it took me a number of years, but reading the Word of God, that just didn't seem compatible. I don't know about you, but I don't like to talk about what the devil's doing. I want to talk about what God is doing. I don't want to, you know, I'm not denying current reality that there's trouble, but I want to tell you that trouble is something we take to the Lord and we say, God, you do something. God, we're, we're asking for your power. We're asking for you to hear and answer prayer. And God hears and answers prayer and his spirit is unleashed. The power of God shakes and rattles the gates of hell to remind him of his future. He doesn't have a future, by the way, but we do. And God wants to use us while we're here because he delights in showing his power in our weakness, in our human weakness. He wants to amaze and astound people of this world with human wisdom and education to say, how can God use them? Just like the scribes and the Pharisees noted that Jesus' disciples, his apostles, uh, you know, these are just ignorant fishermen, but we can tell they've been with this Jesus. Can people who don't know Christ tell that you've been with Jesus? Is his power showing up in your daily life, not just to save you from your sins, but to help you live in a sinful world? Do you understand the power of prayer that it brings God's presence, that it brings 
oftentimes solutions, but it also brings his power to help and his grace and mercy to walk through our difficulties. Because you see, the tender mercies, I want to close with the last slide. Look at the last slide in, in Lamentations 3, 21 and 23. Uh, you know, there's some things going on in this guy's life, and he says, yet in spite of all these things, look at that, I dare, I still dare to hope. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Something that never changes. His mercies never come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every single morning. It's my favorite verse to quote. I quote it in the shower in the morning sometimes. God, it's a new day. Your tender mercies are new, fresh for me right now. I need your mercies today. Do you need his tender mercies? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, we call out to you in this time. We ask you to show up in a powerful way. Lord, at these altars as we worship today and close in worship and prayer at these altars, we pray that you would show up in a powerful way. I pray you'd show up in the homes and the locations where people are watching online and let your power be released to them as well. To call on Jesus' name for salvation, forgiveness of sins, but also for the needs to be met. 